0: Greetings and welcome to Inside the Master's Studio, a behind-the-screens look into the art of GMing. Today I'm joined by Jeff Stormer.
1: Hey, thank you for having me.
0: <laughs> it's an honor to have the host of the Party of One podcast and co-host of All My Fantasy Children. Let's start from the very beginning, though. How did you get involved in role-playing games?
1: Oh gosh, this must have been, I think, twenty. 20- Two years ago, maybe 21 years ago at this point, um, I, my brothers and I found a copy of a game called Middle Earth Roleplaying at a yard sale. And I, like, snuck off with it and read it cover to cover. And I didn't quite understand it at the time. And reading it now, I still don't quite understand it. But, Uh, I fell in love. I like, you know, and a few years later, I got into the Star Wars D6 role-playing system. We found that at a comic book shop, and I sort of understood that. And then a few years after that, we got into D&D proper in high school, and from there, it just sort of snowballed.
0: And were you the GM from the beginning?
1: I aspired to be. I was not particularly good at it as I was eight. I guess I was a player at first because my oldest brother was sort of like trying to also figure out the rules and run it. And then as I got older, I felt like I, I sort of fell in love with the idea of running it. You know, I got into the idea of telling my own stories and, and bringing other people along for the ride. So probably once I got into d and I really became a GM for life.
0: Do you remember your first character?
1: I do because his name was Jeff. He was a corsair. Which, if you remember, the corsairs from the Lord of the Rings—they are in about two pages of the Lord of the Rings. Uh, he was a corsair fighter, and he had a really like fancy hat. And a shield that could float on the water, and he could ride it like a boat.
0: How did that game finish?
1: Uh, We died in one fight, because Middle-Earth role-playing is a bonkers game. (laughs) There are about, like, a hundred pages of critical hit tables, and we rolled a critical hit, and I swallowed my tongue.
0: So a pretty crunch-heavy setting.
1: Yeah, it's pretty... It's a brutal game. It was based on Rollmaster, which is a very much, like... It has roll in the title to tell you how much dice you're... Like, how much you're rolling dice in the game. And it has critical hit tables for everything. So the first round, I think I swallowed my tongue because I got hit with a club. And then I think I got driven mad, like, in the next attack, and started hopping around the battlefield. It was weird. It's a weird game.
0: Has that first experience changed how you feel about Crunch in the RPGs you play now?
1: I don't think so. I think I'd say it was probably more so playing, like, 3.5 in high school that sort of soured me on Crunch a little bit. Because I'm not really good at, like optimizing things in Dungeons & Dragons 3rd Edition. And that kind of pushed me away from, like, mechanically heavy systems.
0: Are you currently playing in any
1: groups? On and off, I'm in a Dungeon World group. We've been meeting sort of semi-frequently. I'm a player in that, which has been really refreshing. And then just one-off games here and there.
0: What led you to playing two-person RPGs?
1: I got into playing two-player games about five years ago. I had just moved in with my wife, uh, producer of the show, Jen Frank. She and I had just moved in together. We were about to get married, and, like, we were sort of just looking... I was looking for ways to, like, fill the time. Just when we were, like, hanging out, we were just, you know, looking for stuff to do. And I was also at the time trying to put together like a gaming group, and it was not going successfully. So Jen was like, why don't you look up to see if there are games you can sort of play two player? And I started doing that. This was about five years ago, so at the time what I found was people being like, well, you could probably play d and with two people. I don't know. It could work. But uh, I started researching it, and other games started to come out that were designed for two people. And that sort of led me down a rabbit hole of getting really into them. And that uh, led me here. In this dark downward spiral.
0: Being a GM for mainly two-player games and a player in a group game, do you miss GMing for a group, or would you rather just GM for two people?
1: I enjoy running a game with a group. I've pulled down it uh, once or twice recently. And I think there's pluses and minuses to both. But I think I, but I really, I run so many games for two people that I really enjoy the change of pace of playing in a game anytime I get to play at this point.
0: Do you remember what the first two player RPG you played with your wife is?
1: I do because it didn't go well. Um, It was a homebrew system of my own design. It was badly designed because it was the first time I was like, I'm going to make a game. Can't be that hard. Turns out it was hard. It was like a weird game and also I had one of the real lessons I learned playing two-player games was that you both have to carry a lot of the narrative. I learned this because I wrote up this really elaborate story and just sort of like trying to drag her character along for the ride and about an hour in Jen was like, yeah, this is weird, and I'm not enjoying this, so I, we talked it over and kind of figured that out. That it didn't feel like she was an active player in things, and that was a real learning experience. So that was probably the first two to- two-player game I ever played. And it didn't go well, but it was a fascinating experience that really informed every, like all the games I've played after.
0: Did you try refining the game?
1: Uh, I did, but as I was doing that, I was reading articles about game design, and very quickly pieced together that the game, like, was not built on on a foundation that was going to stand up. Like, it just wasn't, it wasn't good, and as I found other games that did what I wanted that game to do, like, and as I found other games that were designed for two people, it just didn't, it wasn't worth trying to save it. So it is. It is gone to the winds, but I have. I have uh, little hard feelings.
0: So that game you created, you wouldn't call good.
1: No, it was a. It was a bad game.
0: What would you call, or how would you recognize a good two-player game?
1: Of all the two-player games that I've played, the thing that I've no- really noticed and pieced together is, I think the key is intimacy. I think it's you have to, you know two people in conversation I think that the really the key is a game that leverages that sort of intimate feeling between two people whether that's a romantic intimacy or a heightened sense of drama or a heightened sense of performance the games that interact with that personal dynamic and the way that that dynamic is different than say if you have six people around a table I think those are the games that are really good in a two-player format.
0: Given that the games tend to be more intimate, how do you take that into consideration when you are choosing guests for your podcast?
1: Well, for choosing guests for the podcast, I have a very strict rubric, which is two points. I have a a very strict two-level... identification system level one is are they a person i like and level two is are they a person i want to play a game with but to your question i think it's it's important to find somebody that is comfortable in a sort of a a smaller group setting because there are some people that blossom in a group you know what i mean like there are some people that their personalities are are such that if you get them by themselves, they don't, they aren't as, perhaps, energetic. But if you can find somebody whose energy sort of feeds off of that smaller group setting, I think that's a person that would be a really good fit for a two-player game and for coming on the podcast, provided that they fit my very strict two-point rubric of do I like them and do I think that I can play a game with them.
0: Once you've chosen a person on your podcast, how do you choose what RPG to play with them?
1: Uh, I actually rarely do that part. What I'll do is I will ask them... I give everybody that comes on the podcast the same uh, spiel, which in addition to all the technical stuff about like how we record, how long recordings go, I tell everybody that this is your episode... So you tell me what you would want to play if you had complete and utter control over it, because I play in every episode. One of the things that's really great about a two-player game is it gives you that opportunity to tell a story that maybe you couldn't quite tell in a a six-person group. So I always make sure to say, like, what game do you want to play more than anything, whether that means, like, a specific game. Like, I've had people be like, I want to play Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. Or if it's a character where you're like, I've had this character that I've wanted to play in a game, but I haven't had a place to put them. Or if there's just a specific story that you want to tell. An example that I often use is, I have gotten people who had said, I want to play Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition. I have gotten people who had said, I have this character, uh, He is a mummy who's a detective, how can we fit him into a game? I've had a guest say, I want to play the game Feng Shui 2. I want to play an ordinary person who realizes he has superpowers, and I want the arc of the game to be them realizing they have superpowers, facing the person that gave them superpowers, and becoming a hero in the process. So to a certain extent, one of the great things about planning the show is that I have to do very little of the planning. Because oftentimes when you give people that opportunity to say, this is the game I've always wanted to play, they'll take that opportunity and run with it. And it's always really inspiring to me to see that happen. So that's really how we go from I have a guest to here's the game that we're going to play.
0: Do you do anything before you start recording with the guest to help build a rapport?
1: Usually I will just chat with them for a minute or two just to make sure if they have any questions. But for the most part, not really. The format of the show, the format of Party of One is very specifically designed in a way that we talk about stuff that the person is already comfortable with up front so that we kind of build that, that natural human-like rapport that we should all go for because we are all humans. Hmm. Um, yeah. So, like, we do all of our, like, plugs and talking about personal projects and things at the top of the show. And we have, like, a conversation about that as we start recording to make sure that, like, we're comfortable when the game begins.
0: Have you ever felt the need to use the X card during any
1: episodes? (sighs) Not really, no. There have been one or two moments where... I wouldn't say that it was close, but there were one or two moments where something came up in play that was potentially objectionable. And I do always tell my guests if something comes up, they can always veto, like, they, you know they have veto power but' one or once or twice something has come up that i've thought like might be an issue but in talking with them after like the guest has always been like no no i really enjoyed that like that was what i wanted to happen like i have an example where i played with uh chris from the that d d podcast and we were playing a game of murderous ghosts which is a game about Uh, a man being haunted through an abandoned factory by murderous ghosts
0: seems fitting
1: yeah and the first thing that happens in the game is it asks you a question that you're supposed to answer from personal experience and the question that it asked him like it was randomly decided the question it asked him was like what's the closest you've ever come to dying and he told this really evocative story about how he was pulled into an undertow So naturally, to really, like, amp up the horror, towards the end of the game, I had a monster, a murderous ghost, hold him down in what turned into, like, liquid, and I could hear him getting, like, squeamish and uncomfortable. After the recording, I checked with him to be like, hey, I know we didn't veto it, but, like, was that okay? Like, that wasn't too far. And he said, no, no, like, that was scary, but I really enjoyed how scary that was. So I wouldn't say that I've ever had to use the X-Card, but it's on the table, or cut and break, or similar play tactics, are on the table, but they've never been used, at least to date.
0: Have you ever had any episodes where things just didn't come together, and for now they are a lost episode?
1: Oddly enough, yes. To my count, I have three lost episodes, and... The weird thing is that in the last maybe, like, two weeks, all three of those lost episodes are no longer, like, lost? Like, things fell into place where I can now release all three of those episodes? So yes and no, I guess, is the answer to that question. So the first episode we recorded way back last December, and there were some background noise issues that at the time I was like, I can't fix this. Like, there's back, there's all this background noise, And I was, like, messing with it on a whim to see if I could recover it. And I, like, did three things and the background noise was just gone. So I was like, oh, well, all right. I I guess in the last year I learned something about audio work. Then we had an episode that there was a recording issue with Zencaster, which I used to record all my episodes, where it, like, tried to compress the audio in a weird way. And I hadn't heard from the guest in a few months. And just last week, he sent me an email to be like, Hey, you know, I have this other, this local backup that I recorded that's perfect quality if you want it. And I was like, yes, I want that. Of course I want that. And then the last one, uh, the audio on one side of the conversation was just dead. Like it was gone. There was no way to release it. And the guest, because he's an angel and he, this is an amazing thing. He literally said, All right, then I will re record every one of my lines and you can release the episode. And it'll take a few months. And I just got that audio and it sounds perfect. But uh, yeah, all three of those episodes can come out now.
0: <laughs> All's Well That Ends Well.
1: Yes, indeed.
0: <laughs> if you had to do Party of One using only one RPG, which would you go with?
1: It's a cheat, but I would probably go with Fate. Like, Fate Core would probably be my game. Because, like, I can make Fate Core work with any setting. So that would probably be the game that I would play over and over again. It's probably my favorite, like, traditional RPG of all time, too. So, like, I could play that forever.
0: What about it makes it your favorite?
1: It is... The game that introduced me to indie RPGs, like, I read Fate Core and back to Kickstarter of it at a time when I kind of felt like D&D was the only real thing. D&D or like, subversions of D&D. So reading Fate kind of opened my eyes in that respect. I like how serialized it is. I saw somebody describe it recently as it emulates serialized TV in a way that like, speaks to my way my brain works there's a concept called the fate fractal, which resonates a lot with me in terms of everything is built like a character. So you can build your world with skills and aspects and stunts in the same way that you would build a character in the same way that you would build an adventure in the same way that you would build like an organization. Everything is built the same way. So everything can kind of interact with everything else. And that makes sense to me on a way that very few other things make sense. And the other thing I like about it is I really appreciate the, uh, like the fate point economy. I like the idea of getting in trouble and being able to do a cool thing later because you got in trouble. And that's sort of what fate is built on. That's something I really resonates with me. As a game, I love the idea that You know, your life can be bad in Act 1, and then in Act 3, you get to be a superhero. That fundamentally makes sense to me. In a way that I try to put into all of my different games, even if they're not fate, I keep that in mind, that idea of, like, things have to be bad in Act 1, so that when you're really great in Act 3, you look that much cooler.
0: Over the years, have you found yourself moving toward or away from dice, and math-heavy games towards Freeform?
1: Probably towards Freeform. Definitely towards Freeform. Especially as I've gotten into two-player games, like, Freeform is just where the action is. It's where, it's where all the good stuff is. There's There are so many little tiny, like, two-page micro-LARP-type games that are for two players that I play nowadays. And also, like the weird just the really weird games are all like sort of freeform and odd and that's kind of a thing that i like i like weird things where i get to pretend that i'm you know in space and having feelings about it
0: games like our radios are dying
1: i love our radios are dying
0: i love it in that it is very emotional
1: oh it's so emotional
0: but it's also very difficult for me to watch.
1: Oh yeah, I I have not... I haven't gone back and listened to any of that episode since it was released. It's probably still my favorite. Like, it's one of my favorites. But I don't know that I could ever sit through the whole thing because it's like, it's heavy. It's heavy stuff. Right. I sat through another playthrough of it. Strix, who was my guest on that episode, did a a playthrough of it on her show Weekly Affirmations, and that's a tough, like, it's tough. It's an emotion, it's a heavy game. And I love it, but it's so heavy.
0: Yeah, personally, I uh, closed and opened that game quite a few times just trying to steal myself for Our Radios Are
1: Dying. Oh, uh, it's I get it. No, I I I can't describe to you how nerve wracking it was knowing that we were gonna play that game, and like getting ready for it because my games are often silly. Like that's sort of where my where my comfort is, and I always get a slight bit of of like anxiety about doing a, a game. I get a little bit anxious every time I play a game. I get a little bit anxious every time I record a thing and then playing this game that I'm like, Oh my God, I'm going to have to deal with my feelings about death and relationship stuff. Oh, that was a, that was a tough day. Like I, I took the day off of work for that and I'm really glad I did because I was like, there's no way, there's no way I was going to be able to like go to work and be like, when I get home, I'm going to have to, you know, die in space. <laughs>
0: Talking about a game afterwards can be very important to reel you back in from the character you were. Did you do anything after the game as sort of a talk down?
1: Yeah, we did. We had a we had a debriefing after the game. We talked about our the format of our Radios Are Dying is really interesting. It is a list of like conversational prompts. Things like Tell your partner a time when they disappointed you, and you have to decide what that is and when it comes up in conversation. So, like, after the game, we talked about how we were feeling, like, what moments really resonated with us, like, what points we used different prompts, and we had a really nice, like, debriefing session of, this is what was really emotional, this is what really worked, This is what I would do differently if we played it again with another person. Like, these are the areas that I would like to explore more. Like, if I were to play the game again, I want to... sort of dive into... There's a... I guess we should explain the premise of the game, at least briefly. So Our Radios Are Dying is about two lesbian astronauts from the warring planets of Mars and Venus. They are... lovers... On each planet, being queer is punishable by death, and being fraternizing with the enemy is punishable by jail time. They have snuck away for a rendezvous, there's an accident, and they are floating off without hope of rescue. Now, the thing that really interests me, and that I would want to do again, and this is something that we talked about, that Strix and I both were like, this is an area that I think we could have explored more, is that there are these fundamental like communication boundaries between these two people, because everybody on I think Mars can talk to animals and everybody on Venus has like a telepathic hive mind. So there were these ways of understanding that just are fundamentally incompatible. Like they cannot understand the, the experience that the other person is going through. And I think that's a, that's an area that I would want to play again. But um, to your question, because I realized that was a long rambling off topic.
0: I think it's important. For context.
1: Yeah. But yeah, we had a long debriefing talk after that. And we usually, like, after the game, we'll talk about what... Just about any any game we play, I'll talk about, like, here's what I really liked. Here's why I like this game. Here's what I liked about the recording that we did.
0: One of the causes of anxiety for me with that game is because it involves the death of a partner. And... As somebody who is married, that is a source of anxiety. Have you played this with your wife?
1: No, no, she, uh, no, I, no. (laughs) I had a hard time playing it with, at the time, a person that I had never actually spoken to in person. Playing it with Jen sounds like uh, not a thing that I think is even possible.
0: Do you have a list of games that, for one reason or another, you would not want to play with her?
1: No, I just, I think it's not even, not so much that as it is. I I kind of know what types of games she likes and what type of games I like and, like, what works for both of us. I think it's more so knowing what works that, I think it's games that I would play more than games that I wouldn't play.
0: Do you normally go back and listen to the episodes you've recorded? Not just editing, but trying to see what you did better, see what you did worse, to try to improve?
1: Generally, at some point or another, I'll go back and listen. If not, if not to the whole thing, like I'll skip around and see like what parts work for me and what parts don't. And then just make a list of notes of, like, if I were to play this game again, here's what I would do differently. Or here's what I would do the same.
0: What led you to having a live session at the Philly Podcast
1: Festival? I've been a member of the Philly Podcasting Society for a while. They're a wonderful organization that has, like, meetups around the city. They often do, like, a bar meetup. And they have a very active Facebook community where people post their latest episodes and they'll ask questions. It's a very active and very supportive community that I'm really a fan of. I love it. And if you're in the Philly area and do a podcast, you should join the Podcasting Society. They're really nice. And they've been doing this festival for the last, I think, four years. And I really just wanted to play I wanted to play a game live because I have watched a few things like that like I've watched I've watched a few live play games and I found them really fun so when they opened up applications I was like I'm going to do that and it was interesting because on the application they asked a question that I had not considered which was how are you going to make this show different than just an episode of your podcast live? And I had to think about it for a really long time before I settled on bringing the audience in as a a sort of member of the game. But I was so happy when I kind of pieced all that together. And I think it turned out really well.
0: How different is it performing a podcast in front of an audience versus in front of your normal group
1: I think that it's bigger I think would be the word I would use for it it's broader bigger and broader I think are good words I think when you're at the table jokes are like jokes and bits are a big part are a big thing at least for me but they're not necessarily your number one concern But when I was on, like, when I was behind the table and I had an audience, jokes and bits and crowd response was what I was after. As much fun as it was telling the story that we told, and I obviously wanted to tell the best story that I could, what was making the show different was that there was this group of people watching and I wanted to make sure that they were having the best time possible while also accomplishing the things that I wanted to do within the game. So I think that jokes and bits and crowd response and uh, an awareness thereof played a much bigger role when I was recording a live podcast than it would have if I were just playing that game. Or if I were just, like, doing a podcast like this, where it's just two of us talking online.
0: Has anything in your past prepared you for performing in front of an audience?
1: Um, I performed in front of an audience a few times. I, you know, I did theater in high school and college. I did a few open mic stand-up sets in college that, thank goodness, were not recorded, because that's a chapter of my life I do not want out there in the public. Um, stuff like that. So I had, like, performed for a crowd before. I had done that previously, but I would never done that Within like I had never blended those worlds with the world of tabletop role playing that I am such a fan of.
0: Do you have a favorite character that you've portrayed on the Party of One podcast?
1: It's probably a close tie between our first two episodes. Slimy McKeelberg from our first episode, who is a like a heel wrestler who is also just a terrible luchador. I love him so much. I want to I want to hang out with that character forever. Especially because Noah Houlihan, who played him, who, like, that was his character, was so freaking good at playing that character, and just, like, doing incidental dialogue as him was so much fun that I just want to have conversations with Slimy McHilbert. I also deeply, deeply love, um, from our second episode, Jack Farrow, Mummified Detective, which is a character that my friend Mycroft and I had talked about for years and years. And we finally got to do something with him. And I really love the idea. Like, that character, that's a character that the concept of it, I love so much that I, again, I could just spend time with that character hearing about his mundane life that is also somehow a Mummy movie. It's just great. Vic Frankenstein is a character that I'm very fond of. That was uh, Ken O. He's a great guy. We were playing Atomic Highway, and when I asked him to come onto the show, his exact words were, I don't want to put you in a box of, like, monster plus profession, but I really want to play a Frankenstein who also drives a muscle car and is like, a post-apocalypse bandit. It's uh, so like that sounds like the party of one brand in a nutshell. That's that's the one. So that's a character that I really love.
0: Would you want to go back and do another episode with these characters, or do you feel that it's more important to continue on with new games and new characters?
1: Slimy McKeelberg hit. Has been back and will be back anytime I can make sense for that. Slimy the has officially transcended into, like, tradition status. Because uh, this past April, I brought him back for the WrestleMania Spectacular, which we released on WrestleMania week. And that's just going to be an ongoing tradition, as long as I can drag Noah back to my house to record that we will keep playing wrestling themed games on WrestleMania week like as a special episode like that's not even a question of if that's a question of that's a question of when
0: so always be ready for a run in from slimy
1: oh uh, always always slimy macielberg fuffa for life
0: he is too sweet
1: too sweet Jack Farrow, I I very much want to bring back, particularly because we played uh, The Esoterrorist, which is the gumshoe system from Pilgrim Press. And after we recorded that episode, they made the official announcement that they were making, like, an explicitly two-player version of that game. And I was like, well, that's gotta happen. Like, that's gotta be the sequel, right? Like, like... We have to make another episode with this character using the the game system that is specifically designed for this.
0: Do you feel like there's a crossover with your love of RPGs and crazy characters and your love of wrestling?
1: I do. I do believe that. I think that wrestling is... Somebody said one time, I don't remember who... It may have been Nathan Paletta who made World Ride in Wrestling, but I'm not sure. Somebody said this one time. That going to a wrestling show is attending a LARP. set in a world wherein professional wrestling is real. And that has stuck with me ever since I heard that. And I think that explains a lot of my love of both. Is that there's this sense of performance... Because you go to a wrestling show, and somebody, like, you don't go to Hamlet and boo Hamlet's uncle when he says that he killed Hamlet's father.
0: Maybe you don't.
1: Fair. Fair. I don't do that. But you go to a wrestling show, and if Hamlet's uncle says, It was me, Hamlet! It was me all along! You boo that. You boo that moment, and you say, Son of a bitch!
0: And then you try to toss a steel chair to Hamlet.
1: Yeah, yeah, you throw him the steel chair. Hamlet's uncle throws a wild punch. Hamlet picks him up, hits a blue thunder bomb, hits the ropes. Does a shoulder block, another shoulder block. No, you can't see me. Drops the fist drop. And everybody cheers.
0: Vintage Hamlet.
1: (laughs) I feel like we've gotten off topic. I feel like... This is just what the podcast is about now. Like, I can't stop this.
0: Uh, At this point, I just want somebody to turn Shakespeare plays into wrestling storylines.
1: I would watch the hell out of that. I would watch that so much. But, um, yeah, so, like, I think there's a performance there where you're playing a character even if you're in the audience. And you're sort of sort of role-playing like that's a sort of role-playing of i am going to cheer i i like everybody in the ring more or less there might be one or two wrestlers that i do not like but i even if i think everybody's doing a good job if somebody cheats i am going to boo them as though they are not doing a good job because that is what the character of jeff stormer in the world that professional wrestling is a real sport That is what he would do.
0: Do you prefer wrestling RPGs where the wrestlers are real versus this is sports entertainment?
1: I've played both. I think I lean more towards this is sports entertainment. I've played the ones where it's competitive and it's fun. Like, I enjoy them a lot. But it doesn't quite capture what I like about Stories about professional wrestling, if that makes sense. I enjoy that element of we're going to put on a show and our lives are going to intersect with the performance that we're making. I think more than I like, we are going to pick characters and fight. Because I think that the former captures more of the spirit of professional wrestling.
0: Do you prefer building worlds or exploring them with characters?
1: I, I really like... I don't know that I could pick one. I think that I enjoy them both. I really love making worlds, but I also really enjoy... If a world is already like established as a thing, I love exploring parts of that. And I love exploring parts of that that are removed from the story that already exists. Like, I love exploring the weird parts of Middle-earth that are not, like, the Fellowship of the Ring. I love the people in Star Wars that are not rebels and spies and soldiers. I like the weird, like, pseudo-criminals and accountants that are over here. I love exploring parts of worlds that are not already explored. I think
0: the refueling station owners.
1: Yeah. The, the people that if you look at their action figure, like blister cards are all like supposedly engineers and spies and like rebels, but like that are also like, this is a dude carrying a box. Maybe just, he could just be a dude with a box. Do you know how happy I would be if I picked up a Star Wars action figure one time and it was like Hodo Kin? And Hodo Kin is like, he's a mechanic on Bespin. He's got a wife and kids. His kids think that he is uncool, but he is secretly pretty cool. You know, he works hard and provides for them. And that was it? Do you know how excited I would be? That's what I want. That's the Star Wars story that I want.
0: Would you ever take a character that you helped create in All My Fantasy Children and play a game with them? Or do you feel that those are characters intended for other people?
1: I think both. I want other people to to play with our fantasy children. But I actually do have very specific plans to involve them in games that I plan on playing at some point. I know exactly where some of those characters fit into stories that I want to tell. But I also want other people to do the exact same thing. (laughs) So both. How did All My Fantasy
0: Children get started?
1: All My Fantasy Children got started when Aaron and I were talking. I had had him on the show. We had a blast. And we've been friends for years. He was the best man at my wedding. He's He's my best friend in the world. He's one of my best friends that I've ever had. I had him on and, and we have had a very specific style like shared sense of shared style of humor, I should say, for years. We have had that very like yes and layers upon layers of jokes type of like humor for a long time. So we played on Party of One, we played Dungeon Crawl Classics. We went through that game, uh, and as we were talking about doing a second episode Aaron was like, what if we just did a show where we made characters? Because we were talking about these two characters that survived, Avery Gray and the Bamferino. And Aaron, we were talking about, like, who they were, what they're out, like, what they looked like and what that represented. And, like, we were building these characters and Aaron was like, why don't we just make that a show? Like, we should do that. And we started thinking about it. And I was like, well, where would the characters come from? Like, where would we start? Would I just pick a game? Would it be, like, the game that we played on Party of One? And Aaron was like, why don't we just, like, get Twitter suggestions and just make characters off of that? And that is where All My Fantasy Children came from. We just reached out to some friends of ours and said, hey, give us a D&D character prompt. And we took the first one that we got, which was a farmer who was salty because he got second place in his town's pumpkin growing competition. And it was all downhill from there.
0: (laughs) Would you want to do an episode of All My Fantasy Children Live?
1: Yes, so badly, yes. (laughs) That is the dream. At this point, that's the dream. Like, Party of One Live was so much fun, and I'm so gonna do more of those. But I think All My Fantasy Children Live, like, getting suggestions from the crowd... Oh, that's going to be so good when it happens. Because it's going to happen. Not an if, that's a when. Whenever we find a chance to do that, that's going to be so good. Following
0: up with the question on the form you had to fill out, how would you involve the audience so that it's not just the two of you talking?
1: I've thought about this, and I know exactly how to involve the audience on All My Fantasy Children Live. The way I see it, there's two ways to go, and it'll probably be both. Like, the answer's probably both of these. One is like specifically collect character prompts from the crowd and start the episode with that. like use a prompt from the crowd as our as our character prompt for the week. The other, and this ties into one of the things about the show that we that Aaron and I both really love, which is when we like leave it up to fate or to chance, and we roll the dice on a table to see like. Some, like, a detail about that character. We roll on a table and see what comes up, and we just have to run with whatever it gives us. I feel like if we subbed out audience prompts for, like, tables, that would be the most amazing thing. If we were just like, okay, what is this character's deep, dark secret, and we just threw it out to the crowd, and the first person that yells out a response... We're just like, okay, yep, there it is. That's the answer. I feel like that would be wonderful. I feel like that would be a really great way to use that crowd in that space.
0: By its very nature, All My Fantasy Children is much more collaborative. How do you keep from stepping on each other's toes creatively?
1: I think that we have a really good dynamic. Aaron sort of like picks the prompt that he wants to use on a given week. And he'll tell me that, and I will go find the game that I want to use. And that way we both kind of have a sort of expertise on a different side of the conversation. Because every week it is character prompt meets game, and we, we have to create a character somewhere in the middle of that. So having it be like, I know the game, Aaron knows the prompt, then we both have to bring something to the table, and we both have to respect one another's contributions like as we build that character, if that makes sense.
0: Taking into account your entire history as both a role player and GM, if you could have one item from a game you've played in, what
1: would it be? One item from a game I've played in. What would it be? I would love to have. I played a game of Numenera, which is Earth a billion years in the future
0: Starring Will Smith.
1: Starring Will Smith. Um I played a game of that for the show. And my character had a randomly rolled weird item that was a hat that randomly disappears and reappears. And I would like to own that hat. Or, alternately, the really fancy hat that Jeff the Corsair fighter wore in that first Middle-Earth game. Either way, a cool hat is my answer.
0: Seems like hats are a reoccurring theme in your life.
1: I just can't get away from them. Which is funny, because I don't really like hats. Like, I don't wear a hat. Because it messes with my hair. But, like, hats is really the theme. Hats and pocket sand are the two themes of gaming in my life.
0: Now, how about this? A hat with a compartment full of sand.
1: That that would make... Yeah. See, that would be good. In conjunction, like, if your pockets were full of sand, you could throw sand in someone's eyes. And then, like... They'd be like, haha, you're out of sand. And you're like, well, let me just bridge to my hat, hat sand. I like it. This is a genius idea.
0: We're going to start wrapping up here. But before I do, I'm going to ask you some questions from the Pivo questionnaire. Okay. As seen on some other show not to be named. Sure, Sure, sure. What is your favorite word?
1: Cromulent.
0: What is your least favorite word?
1: Logic. No, it's Reddit. My least favorite word is Reddit.
0: I have an involuntary frown just hearing that.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's my least favorite word.
0: Uh, what turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally?
1: Um, enthusiasm.
0: What turns you off?
1: Smugness.
0: What is your favorite curse word to hear from your players?
1: Fuck.
0: A Christmas story style?
1: Exactly like that. Yeah.
0: What sound or noise do you love?
1: Hmm. Sound or noise do I love? I love melodicas. You know, like the 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 piano that you play, like a harmonica? I love melodic, isn't it?
0: And what sound or noise do you hate?
1: I hate the noise... I feel like there's a real specific noise that I hate, and I have to think about it. Oh, you know what... You know what noise I really hate is... Um. Oh, come on. I I, I just had it, and I I lost it. Actually, at this point, you know what noise I hate? Is ums. And I think that, and because I've been editing podcasts for a year now, I hate ums.
0: Would you like me to replace any of your ums with a specific sound? Like a Melodica, for example.
1: Yeah, if you could replace all of the ums in this podcast with, like, just a quick, beautiful Melodica solo. But only if and only if you can then dub in your own audio of being like, Well, that was a beautiful Melodica solo. Thank you, Jeff, for playing that. Because I want not make people to think that I'm a great Melodica player.
0: What game system would you like to attempt?
1: The game that I would like to attempt is called... The Bite, by Dan Enders. It is a two-player game about, uh, you are trapped in a room. I've heard it described as the end of the thing, the RPG. There are zombies outside. You are trapped in a room with one other person. There is a gun with a single bullet between you. One of you may or may not have been bitten by a zombie. You have a hand of, like, conversation topics that you take turns laying down in front of you and, like, chatting about. Things like, who was the first person you know to be bitten by a zombie? Stuff like that. One of the cards that you shuffle out, and you don't deal out all of the cards to both players, so there's a chance neither of you have been bitten. But one of the cards says, you've been bitten, you do not want to die. You talk until one of the players takes the gun... Either throws it away, shoots you, or shoots themselves. I want to play this game and feel sad so badly. And I'm going to feel so sad playing this game. And I cannot wait.
0: Is this an upcoming episode?
1: It should be. It's in the works. We'll see. I'm not sure when it's going to come out, when we get get the chance to play it, but it should be out. It should be a full episode at some point. Also, I don't know if it's going to be one playthrough of that or, like, several. It really depends on how long the playthroughs are.
0: What game system would you not like to attempt?
1: That would be Fatal. That's not true. I want to play Fatal super badly. No. At this point, the game system that I would not want to play is Rolemaster. The one that Middle-Earth roleplay is based on... I've read that book enough times to know that I do not want to play that game.
0: So you want to play Fatal, you just don't want to hang out with people that play Fatal.
1: Yeah, I want to play Fatal real badly, but like, I want to play it explicitly with people that I know want to play Fatal for the same reasons I want to play Fatal. I don't want to play Fatal with anyone that genuinely wants to play Fatal. Because that person is a, that person's going to wear my skin like a suit.
0: When your games conclude, what do you like to hear from your players?
1: I like to hear the specific phrase that I've heard once. And that is this game fucking owns. That is the phrase that I like to hear.
0: When was that
1: uh, that was actually on an episode. You can go back and hear it. Uh, it's actually not the end of an episode; it's like mid game, but it's my it's like my favorite reaction. It was we uh, Alex Roberts and I were playing hot guys making out, and halfway through the episode, like we just ended a scene, and she just bursts out. This game fucking oh, and I was the happiest, the happiest mo- like moment on the podcast. That or I'll shamelessly admit it fawning praise of me i really enjoy that's happened a few times where people have been like you're a really great storyteller and i'm like no no please continue continue tell me more
0: thank you for joining me for this episode
1: oh thank you so much for having me this was wonderful
0: (laughs) and where can people go to listen to your podcasts
1: you can find both on soundcloud um soundcloud.com slash party of one podcast or soundcloud.com slash allmyfantasychildren. They're both on iTunes, Google Play, I believe Pocket Casts. Really anywhere you get a podcast, we should be there. In both cases. You can follow Party of One on Twitter at Party of One Pod. You can follow All My Fantasy Children at AMFC underscore podcast on Twitter. Both are on Facebook. Basically anywhere you want to go to find like a, anywhere you would go to find a podcast, that's where you can find part, uh, the shows.
0: And always feel free to send in a prompt for all my fantasy children.
1: Always. We are always looking for prompts. Um, short ones, long ones, funny ones, serious ones. Long, You know, everything from a dwarf with style to... Big Jeremy, the Ironmonger's son, to a cleric whose holy book is the secret. We love them all. We, uh, we you know, we... We use a new one every week, so the more you send in, the better. Uh, just tweet them out using the hashtag fantasy children. We'll find them or retweet them. We might use them on the show.
0: I've been your host, The Moon Rules. Make sure to check out the Party of One podcast and all my fantasy children. And remember if at first you don't succeed, just say the dice were cocked.